All right. In this understanding, Brother Clayton talked about our debt, the debt we have to give the gospel to others, the greatest debt that we owe is to God. And in that, it's our responsibility to share the gospel with others. So I think that one of the most important aspects of this is understanding what are the needs that people have? What are the needs that need to be answered and fulfilled? When I was in sales, they would teach us that sales, a successful salesman, creates a need and overcomes objections. You create a need and you overcome objections. So you tell the people all the problems with their windows and how much air is coming in, how much extra money they're spending, how they're going to have to paint those windows and all the problems they have with their windows. And then I happen to have windows that will solve all of those problems and they can be yours for only. And what are you doing? You're creating a need and then you're overcoming objections. So if they would say, well, how do I know I'm going to get a return for my money? And then you'd have those numbers available and you have this whole spiel that you would do. The difference between sales and evangelism is in sales, you're creating a need. And in evangelism, you're making people aware of a need. Those are two different things. And they're, they're, they're very different things. Because those people can live just fine without my windows. Amen? I remember I was trying to convince my father-in-law that he needed new windows. And he had these nice Anderson windows. There wasn't a thing in the world wrong with them. And he just laughed. He said, you really believe in your product, don't you? And it was funny because... Of course, if you know my father-in-law, getting money out of him for anything is basically impossible. But it was fun to try. Um, this, this idea of believing in your product, if we can use a crass term, a uh, turn of a phrase, do you believe in the gospel? And do you believe in the necessity of the gospel for the people that you interact with? You understand that they really will spend eternity in a Christless hell if they don't respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do we really understand that? There are, um, there are a lot of religions out there. And the, the, the religion that we would practice or the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would hold to it answers four questions that only the gospel can answer. Now, I'm going to give you four different questions than those that would normally be given. Uh, it's been said that all religions must answer four questions. The answer of origin, the answer of meaning, the answer of suffering, and the answer of hope for eternity or hope for the future. In, uh, one might be substituted in there, the answer of morality. Where does right and wrong come from? You know, the atheist can say that something is wrong, but what is the basis for that right and wrong? If you have a moral law, then there must be a moral law giver. We understand that Christianity provides the answer for origin because we understand that uh, out of nothing, nothing comes. Something cannot come from nothing. That, that is obvious. And so whether, for whatever uh, uh, idea or paradigm that the atheist comes up with, all you have to keep asking is, where did that come from? Where did that come from? How did that get here? And ultimately, they'll just say, we don't know, but we, we will find out someday. 
Some of them will say, when we die, we'll meet an extraterrestrial being of some kind who will tell us how we got here. Because that's brilliant. You know, we die, we're going to go see the aliens. You know, but Christianity's crazy. See, Christianity gives the answer for origins. How did we get here? And then when we understand how we got here, then Christianity will answer the, the, the question of meaning. Why am I here? You're here to bring glory to God. How do you bring glory to God? By accepting His free gift of eternal life and then living a life that brings honor to Him in this fallen world. That's why I'm here. Amen? Ultimately, that's why I'm here. Young people, if you never get married, you can bring glory to God. If that right person never comes along, you can still give glory to God. If our government falls and we end up with a socialist, communist dictator, it, it doesn't matter, your job hasn't changed, you can still bring glory to God. The, the uncertainty of the economic or political future has nothing to do with why you are here. It doesn't influence it at all. The, the, the climate, the social climate, has nothing to do with why you are here. You're here to bring glory to God. And so regardless of the system that you happen to live in, you can still bring glory to God. That gives you meaning for your life. It's, it's just a fantastic way to live. We have answers to the ultimate questions of reality. And then the question of morality, how do I know what to do and why to do it? Well, the Bible gives that to us in the Scriptures. We have that answer. And then what about hope for the future? What about hope for the future? How do I know that I will have a better end? The Bible says the end of a thing is better than the beginning thereof, well, only if you're in Christ. How do I know that there's a better eternity, that there's hope for the future? The only thing that atheism offers is emptiness and pointlessness and hopelessness. In Christianity, you have those ultimate answers to all of those questions. What a fantastic opportunity we have. We have the answers. I know I mentioned to you just recently about being at Colby College in Maine, and they had the, um, the, the flags for Gay Pride Day hanging everywhere. And some of the guys were getting really mad about it. And I, I told them, I said, guys, you got to understand, these people are lost. They come here to this institution, and the only thing this institution can offer them is questions. We can give them answers, but we can't give them answers if we're mad at them. Got to love them. We've got to love them. That, that those ultimate answers that Christianity provides, those aren't the questions that we're here to answer tonight. I want to show you the, the four questions that Christianity answers, the four questions that Jesus Christ provides the answer to in the world that, that people really need to hear. Number one, number one, the answer to the nature of sin in the heart of man. The answer to the nature of sin in the heart of man. I want you to think about something. The atheist, and I don't know, you might know some, there are atheists that on a human level are good people. And you know what I mean by that. The Bible says there are none that doeth good, no, not one. But that are you know, upstanding citizens in the United States. They just happen to be atheists. Right? I know sometimes it's hard for Christians to acknowledge that. I know some atheists that live better than people that call themselves, who are Christ, call themselves Christians. It's an interesting thought. Um, but in that, that atheist might see bad behavior. So they'll see um, a, a woman or a child that's molested, or they'll see something horrible going on like the, the, the genocide in Rwanda or in Sudan. 
And they'll acknowledge, they'll see that that is a horrible thing, and they might want to know why that happens or how to stop it. And they can have a discussion about that. But the question they can never answer is the question about the evil in their own heart. Because even those who are seeing the evil out in the world, they recognize that in their own heart they have hatred for their own mankind. They have envy and they have lust and they have things that they know that they should not have. What's the answer for that? What's the answer for that? See, there's no outside system that can answer it. Look at what Jesus Christ said. Matthew chapter 15, verse 11. Verse 10. And he called the multitude and said unto them, Hear and understand. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth defileth a man. What is this saying? It's not the influence of the culture that makes a person evil. It's the evil person in the culture that makes the person evil. You see, Jesus Christ and Christianity define the nature and the origin of sin and evil in the world. It gives an answer to that. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know what? Do this for me. I got, I got ahead of myself. Go to Matthew chapter 9. I've backed up before, but never that far, right? Let's start reading in Matthew instead. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. So his Jesus Christ. And behold, they brought to him a a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, isn't that awesome, said, Have you ever had somebody say, I know what you're thinking? Jesus really did. Right? Right? Uh, uh, guys, if your wives are I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm not thinking anything. I'm hungry. <laughs> right? Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? Isn't that interesting? When someone impugns the character of Jesus Christ, that's evil. That's evil. When these atheists talk about the evil of Christianity... What they're saying is evil. They're evil imaginations. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is easier, to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say arise and walk? See, they weren't concerned with the arise and walk. They were concerned with thy sins be forgiven thee. It's interesting, isn't it? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. You think that guy was happy? What was more important to that man? Be careful how you answer it. The forgiveness of his sins or the healing of his palsy? In a temporal sense, the healing of the palsy. In an eternal sense, the forgiveness of his sins. 
You see, Jesus Christ understood the key problem with this man was not his illness. It was his sin. What Jesus Christ does is He gives the answer to the origin and the nature of sin in the heart of man. That's the first question that Jesus Christ answers. The second question is this. He gives an answer to the question of suffering and the origin of evil through sin and the fall. Where does evil come from? Why is there evil in the world? Where does it come from? Well, go to Romans chapter 12. I'm sorry, Romans 5, verse 12. I know many of you have memorized this verse. Romans 5, 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So that's where suffering comes from. Death and suffering come from sin. That's where they come from. Christianity gives the answer for that. Well, these are just legends and myths. No, it's the Word of God. It's the truth of where sin and evil originated. And the Scriptures give us that. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at His coming." It's very important that we understand this. Jesus Christ and the Gospels, Jesus Christ and the Word of God, Jesus Christ and the New Testament hope of eternity, they give us the reason, the answer for suffering, for sin. Where did it come from? Why does it exist? What's the answer for it? The Bible gives us that. These are the answers that the people in the community, they need to know. They need to know this. So number one, the nature of sin in the heart of man. Number two, the nature of, of suffering and evil in the world. Then number three, this is so important, the nature of salvation. It gives the answer to how how can there be salvation? In the Quran, the Quran only mentions salvation once. That's it. There's no hope for salvation in the Quran. Do you know what most religion says when there's suffering in the world? It's your fault. You have a baby die, it's because of sin in your life. Do you remember what happened when the the, the man had the the son that was sick? And they said, who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus said, neither. This was so that God could, God's glory could be shown. Now, understand, were those people sinners? Yes. Was the result of that because of their behavior? No. It's important that we get that. You see, other faiths, even false faiths in Christianity, will say that if your baby dies, it's because you have sin in your life. If you die of cancer, it's because your faith wasn't strong enough. It's your fault. It's your fault. No, 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 no. The reason that people die is because of the fall. Because sin and death entered into the world. And Christianity gives us the solution for all of it. It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians 3. Verse 13, 
Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. I want you to think about something. God took on flesh and bones. He entered into this world of sin and suffering and death. And he was scourged, that is, that he was tied to a post, and he was beaten until he was not recognizable as a man. The skin was torn from his body. His beard was plucked from his face. And so when he was seen after the resurrection, he was not recognizable as himself. That's what happened to Jesus. He was, he was then put on a cross. He was nailed to that cross. He, he hung on that cross and he died. That didn't happen in Islam. As a matter of fact, in Islam, they say that, that Judas was substituted for Jesus and it was, actually Jesus, or it was actually Judas that was on the cross. Hinduism doesn't provide that sacrifice. No one provides that sacrifice but Jesus Christ. You see, God gives the reason for sin and the origin of sin. God gives us the reason for suffering. And God gives us the answer for it all, which is the cross of Jesus Christ. I was thinking about it while I was preparing this this afternoon. And that is that I've not talked about the reality of the cross enough recently as your pastor. We need to really consider what Jesus Christ did for us. And like Paul said, I will not glory in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our hope. Now, hallelujah, He didn't stay there. He rose from the dead. As the text said, and became the first fruits of the resurrection. Uh, praise His name. So it gives the, the answer to the question of where did sin come from? What about suffering? Where does salvation come from? And then it gives an answer to the nature of reality. I want you to think about something. Go to First John 5, 7. In Islam, God is a monad. It's... In, in, in Christianity, God is a trinity, the Godhead. Uh, in Islam, there's one God. All right. In many faiths, there are a multiplicity of gods, but not one in three or three in one. The, 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 the Godhead trinity that's unique to Christianity. Look what the Bible says. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. The three are one. That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one, the Godhead. Is that right? Now, here's the problem. If He's not that, if, if this is not the nature of reality, then we have a problem. Look at uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for, read it with me, God is love. God is love. Look at verse 16. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior 
of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to, uh, uh, to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So we understand that, that God is love. How many of you get that? How many of you have seen that on a bumper sticker or something? Right? God is love. But here's the problem. If God is not a trinity, who did He love before man was created? This is where the Godhead is so important. God was complete in the Godhead before we were created and throughout all eternity. There was perfect love, perfect communion, perfect relationship in the Godhead. Is that right? If not, then man is necessary to God. Man must exist in order for God to love. That diminishes God, and it makes God needful of something. God doesn't need anything. He is complete in the Godhead. That's the nature of reality. So what that does is it helps us to understand the unity in the diversity that is the world. Remember, and and I won't make you endure it again, what we talked about with philosophy. Philosophy is always trying to find the ultimate reality. And they said it's earth, wind, water, fire, whatever it is. Or if you're a modern philosopher, you're looking for string theory or the God particle or whatever it is. The ultimate explanation of reality. Well, the only thing that can bring all of the desires that we have whether it's the desire of a man for a woman, it's the desire for good food, whether it's the desire for good exercise, whether it's the desire for nature and for sun. How many of you could love a little bit of sun right now? Right? We have all of those desires that are good and healthy desires that can only find their proper fulfillment in the purposes of God. God made food for you to eat. Isn't that awesome? We're going to get to eat in heaven. Hallelujah. I think the marriage supper of the Lamb is Cinnabons. <laughs> Not to worry because the righteous shall be made fat. It'll be a good thing. There's going to be food there. The ultimate expression, the desire of a man for a woman, that finds its ultimate expression in the gift that God gave us called marriage. It's a good thing. Isn't that awesome? It's a wonderful and it's a right thing. When you remove God from it, then you end up with what they have in Europe with the sex trade business where women are being exploited in the most horrible ways. It's unbelievable when we understand the unity of the Trinity then we can understand the nature of the reality of the world, the ultimate expression of love is found in God. The ultimate fulfillment of desires is found in God. The ultimate fulfillment of purpose is found in God, as expressed in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We, give the, we, we have the answers for everything. For everything. Someone might say, well, then why am I not happy? Well, probably because you're not right with God. Because you're looking somewhere else for your happiness than God. You're looking for the promotion. 
or the new car or the new TV or the new relationship or whatever it is, you're looking for your ultimate fulfillment someplace other than in the one who created you and put a desire in you for him. So what do we have? We have the answers to the ultimate questions in life. And as Jesus said about Israel, don't put your light under a bushel. Amen? If our light be hid, it is hid from them that are lost. We have the answers. Let's give the world the answers. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word.